Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with two specific individuals, David Denton and Rand, Randy Benson. You know what? You guys have done a lot of work for the JFK community, but I had some questions I wanted to ask specifically you two. Um, I know you guys have involvement, especially David, you with the JFK conferences. Randy, you made the Searchers film as well. Um, last night, I went through the archives. I went through, especially the 2021 releases of documents. I have documents to pull up during this episode as well, two things that I found interesting. But before we started all that, I wanted to get the perspectives that you guys have going into the assassination. Because um, briefly for mine, I don't go into it like how people have assumptions that the pains are CIA, Johnson was involved, all these types of things, because I didn't know any of this until after talking with all of you guys individually. And the way I went into this was if this was a 24 year old that's getting blamed for killing the president and he didn't do that, that's an issue, not only for him, but for his family, Marina Oswald, all these types of issues that started to arise, people saying that she's getting money and she's this back and forth and she's an unreliable person and all this. I think that is not only damaging to their credibility, but if it's not true, that's an issue. And I also tackled that the same way with the pains. If you're labeling this person as a CIA asset, and we do have documents to show that she, there was some CIA notes to her profile and her family as well, too. I go, but that is also not very good when it comes to the aspect of trying to live with, you know, people trying to get that out of you the whole entire time, basically your whole life. So coming into the case with that type of mindset, I've started to kind of have a different skewed version than you guys probably do on the JFK assassination, only because not the age difference, but you guys have seen other things that I have probably not seen. So what I did my research, I just went strictly into the 2021 documents. So before we go into the 2021 documents, I just wanted to get your guys perspective. David, you can start because you've done the JFK conferences, you know, you host them and um, you probably have accumulated a good amount of information just when it comes to a perspective that you might have. Okay, I'm just, if you just kind of centralize that question, I mean, you want just an overall, Robbie, an overall perspective of where I think the JFK assassination stands. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Yes, sir. That means if you think Oswald's innocent, if you think Johnson did it, if you think it was Dallas police, if you think it was an oil company. Okay, and that, and that is a question. That is the, the, the million-dollar question, isn't it, that every – JFK assassination researcher might be confronted with and and it's 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 a complicated answer and I know I don't do say that to you know avoid the question or or, or be you know evasive it, it is a complicated answer I mean it I think it's an evolving answer too about what we know and but what we do know is this if you put it down to this core level JFK challenged the power structure in America on multiple levels. He made multiple enemies in powerful places. Many of those enemies uh, 
part, we're interconnected. I know some folks use the term deep politics, and I don't like that term today because some of the more recent times people have co-opted that into something else. And I'm, I, I refer to it maybe more as a, a power structure. And, and, these, and those powerful people, at least elements of that, I believe, decided that Kennedy was in effect an enemy of the state, or they had agendas that in terms of survival, I think you can see a combination of that. I think uh, you mentioned Lyndon Johnson, if Lyndon Johnson in fact uh, had complicity in this, I, and I believe he did, it was a matter of survival for him. He, he, his time as vice president was probably coming to an end. The Kennedys had every intention of getting rid of him and possibly in jail for multiple scandals. I mean, there, there's no more, there's no more motive than that in terms of Johnson who his ambition to be president of the United States. Does that mean that Johnson was, I believe, was a central planner in the assassination? I, I do not think that. I think he was a, a probably a willing participant or, or, or allowed it to happen. And then certainly was involved heavily engaged in the, in the cover-up of it. Um, I think you have to look at elements of the CIA. And, and in terms of their agenda, again, it's not only a political thing, but a survival mode for the CIA. I mean, the JFK intended to, to scatter the CIA into a thousand pieces, and he said so, and, and they were running counter to each other in terms of, a, of their agendas in Vietnam and Cuba. Uh, and, and I think there was a perception that to them, and some of the... the right-wing extremists in the United States, so I think there may be those that possibly funded this, saw Kennedy as a traitor. Uh, and as simple as that, it had to be eliminated. And uh, I, I just see that at, at a power level that powerful people coalesced around the idea of removing the president of the United States. And it didn't have to be the entire apparatus of the CIA or or any other element across the United States. It had to be a, a, a few powerful people who were put themselves in a position to eliminate the president and, and, and create a situation where they, they thought they were saving the country from a traitor. I, and in some cases, again, a, a, a survival aspect, if you look at it from the standpoint of, of Johnson's sur survival, his political career, the CIA's survival as an institution, yeah, even, you know, even I'm not going to say that Hoover was actively involved, but but the assassination allowed the survival of J. Edgar Hoover, too, because he was going to be retired by the by the Kennedy. So this this direct confrontal on the part of the Kennedy brothers against powerful forces, I think, ultimately led to his death. Now, how do you get that down to a specific level and say this happened and this person and that. I mean, we're still trying to figure that out, but I think you can make a, a, a strong case based upon a, quite a bit of evidence that there's a historical reality in the idea that powerful people colluded against the president of the United States and eliminated it in, in the United States in 1963. I guess that's the easiest way as I can put it. Um, 
Randy, before we go to you real quick, I can um, see where we could talk about powerful figures as well, too, um, especially if you look at the pains and why people might attach the pains to some as well, too, not only on the aspect of getting Oswald the job at the book depository building, but also if you look at the, the night or party that they all went to, um, where they kind of were connected before the Oswalds moved in um, with the pains. The Paines were apparently Quakers, but they were hanging out with white Russians. They were hanging out with very, very powerful, very right-wing figures. Um, to me, that could raise suspicion as well, too. Um, Randy, what do you, what's your perspective going into this? Well, um, a researcher a long time ago told me, well, recommended to me that I never at a dinner party or... Um, to friends, to, to uh, you know, work colleagues, never say who you think did it because you can't prove it and you'll just sound um, crazy. It'll be easy to, to uh, reduce it into a nothing comment. But I follow the research of, of uh, May Russell and uh, um, John Judge and and their, the surrounding community. Um, when when I'm thinking about the who done it, there are things that happened during and after the assassination that only a few people could pull off. And uh, I mentioned this in a previous podcast with you, but. Um, you know, the code books in Air Force, in um, long range bombers, the nuclear code book books were pulled on November 22nd, 1963. They were not in the plans. Um, John Judge got confirmation of this. Bill Kelly has done a, a ton of research into this. Um, May found out the exact same thing. So there's, there's only one place that could order the code books to be removed, for instance, and that's the Joint Chiefs. Um, who could call the stand down of, of uh, troops in Texas that were assigned to guard the president on his trip to Dallas? The Joint Chiefs. Um, so I think that that their that their involvement is is um, undeniable and in their planning, but you know there's there are other things that happen that could only take um, LBJ, for instance, like getting the Warren Commission appointed. Now, is that was LBJ an accessory after the fact? Definitely he was, but was he involved in the get-go? There's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that says he was. Um, you know, I think uh, yeah. So that's that's just kind of where I stand right now. Um, but we're learning more and more as the documents get released. We're learning more and more about how the government in crisis reacted. And David, is, David was, is right that 
Um, there's so many reasons why Kennedy was killed. He made so many enemies. And to say, um, to say that he was a traitor to his class and was seen as a traitor to the country is an understatement. And the main question I think we need to ask is who benefited from the assassination? You know, qui bono? That's the question that's asked in any murder case. And in 1963 and four, it wasn't asked in this case, except by a few researchers. All my individual conversations with people who are experts in the JFK assassination, I've always brought up the point that everyone can agree on most things, but then they fall apart on some very small things. But those small things become very, very crucial issues. And the one issue that I have overall with every, not all the experts, but basically everything in general when it comes to the JFK assassination is the fact that when people say you could be grasping at air and a lot of this isn't, there's nothing there. There's not, there couldn't be a conspiracy basically. And I think when we talk about if it was the Dallas police, if it was an oil company, if it was the mafia, if it was whatever, I think everybody has reasonable straws to grasp because there's reasonable things that you can question. The way I boil it down to is the main central intelligence agency issue. So going through the 2021 documents last night, while also listening to the searchers, um, I want to pull up something that is, I would say, prime importance that you both probably know very, very well. Um, so this is what you guys might know. Let me know when you guys see this on your screen, if it's going to. Did it share? Oh, hold on. I just started screen sharing on me right now, but I do not see it. It'll I don't up. see the document yet. It'll pop up. Give my computer time. It's old. Okay, so go. this is the 1035-960. Um, last night when I was looking through the archives, I was listening to the searchers made by Randy Benson over here, and this document was mentioned. So I Googled it, and I said, what the hell is this document? And it pulled me right to it. Now, when we talk about media having power and influence in a situation, this is a prime example. Um, it's counter-criticism of the Warren Report. Um, it's 1035-960 is a government document that was released, and it says, our concern from the day of President Kennedy's assassination on there was speculation about the responsibility for his murder, although this was stemmed for a time by the Warren Commission report, which appeared at the end of the September 1964. Various writers have now had time to scan the commission's published report and documents for new pretexts of questioning. And there's been a new wave of books and articles criticizing the commissions, and there are a new wave of oh, oh, findings. In most cases, the uh, Critics have speculated as to the existence of some kind of conspiracy, and often they have implied that the commission itself was involved. Presumably, as a result of the increasing challenge to the Warren Commission reports, a public opinion poll recently indicated that 46% of the American public did not think that Oswald acted alone, while more than half of those polled thought that the commission had left some questions unresolved. Doubtless, polls abroad would show similar or possibly more adverse results. So, I want to make sure I get the correct part where it says, um, so they had a strategy to discuss the publicity problem with liaison and uh, friendly elite contacts, especially politicians and editors, pointing out that the Warren Commission made as thorough an investigation as humanly possible, that the charges of the critics are without serious foundation, and that further speculative discussion only plays into the hands of the opposition. Point out also that parts of the conspiracy talk appear to be deliberately generated by communist propagandists, urge them to use their influence to discourage unfounded and irresponsible speculation, to employ propaganda assets to answer and refute 
the attacks of the critics. Book reviews and feature articles are particularly appropriate for this purpose. The unclassified attachments to this guidance should provide useful background material for passage to assets. Our play should point out and applicable that the critics are wedded to theories adopted before the evidence was in, politically interested, financially interested, hasty and inaccurate in their research, or infatuated with their own theories. In the course of these discussions of the whole phenomenon of criticism, a useful strategy may be to single out Epstein's theory for attack using the attached Fletcher Nebel article and spectator piece for background. Although Mark Lane's book is much less convincing than Epstein's and comes off badly where contested by knowledgeable critics, it is also much more difficult to answer as a whole as one becomes lost in a morass of unrelated details. In private media discussion, not directed at any particular writer or in attacking publications which may yet be forthcoming, the following arguments should be useful. No significant new evidence has emerged with which the commission uh, did not consider. The assassination is sometimes compared um, with the Dreyfus case. However, unlike that case, the attacks on the Warren Commission have been produce, uh, produced with no new evidence. No new culprits have been convictly identified, and there's no new agreement among the critics. So this whole article, for people listening, is basically a rundown and a breakthrough of how media and how anybody should respond to any type of what they would label as conspiracy talk when it comes to any of these investigations. That means when we talk about an aspect of no new evidence, when we talk about conspiracy, we talk about all these made up things. They're basically blacklisting anybody who comes out with information that would be essential to a, a reinvestigation into the case, which is a prime issue, because one of the things I always get when I'm or what I come across when I go into this and I look into the community forums, I look into anything. They talk about Marina Oswald accepted a bunch of money. That was her whole thing. Why did she blame her husband and then flip her opinion? Oh, when the money ran out. No, I mean, consider the aspect of how bad you're being blacklisted by anybody. This is the same thing that happened. There was a Robertson panel a long time ago that was investigating UAP articles, um, UFOs and all this back in like the 60s. People killed themselves because they didn't want to get involved into the aspect of it, of how bad they were blacklisted by other researchers and other scientists. They made the own people hate each other so much so that if you were researching extraterrestrial phenomena, your whole career was down the drain. Even if you had a pension, people would not take you seriously on anything that you said. And it didn't work well with this because a lot of researchers did do a lot of work, did come with good evidence. And eventually the media stopped being the person that you would go to with your new new with your new evidence. You would publish it in a book. You would publish it in an article. Let's take the searchers, for instance. How come that wasn't given an Oscar or not an Oscar, but given an award, given something that would have been publicized on the media where you had your own 60 minute interview or something like that i've watched it three times now it's great it's it's thoroughly done but then you get someone like gerald posner or someone like uh what's his name who was in the pain documentaries last name's holland max Saint Max Holland, yeah. You get these people who just agree with exactly what the Warren Commission report already says. If your document was so foolproof, why do you have so many pages of it that's being released? You know, that's a very thorough, thorough investigation of what I would say of trying to cover up a lot of these loose ends that start popping up when people start doing enough digging. And my whole point here is that when we talk about what, why didn't the media report this or that's conspiracy talk, 
there was documented proof that to label any of this new information or anything like this by the media to be conspiracy talk. So you think like that and you don't take it seriously. And I think that's a real issue that we need to bring up. I mean, that's a document that states that and shows it. That's your prime evidence to where we can say anything you think that you should just question. It's not conspiracy. You should question some things about a lot of the stuff that goes on with the JFK assassination. I'm 24 years old. I'm not a researcher. If you staple like researcher to my forehead, put jackass under it. But I'm just saying, if I can come across this type of stuff, any reasonable person reading this can come across this type of stuff. And there are things you need to question about the JFK assassination. Um, I just went on a rant. I'm sorry about that. No, I think, uh, um, David, if I can just introduce inject something really quick yeah i'll have a comment about it too but go go randy yeah. the uh that document you just showed the cia document 1035 960 is so important and it's great that you brought it up today because if you look at some of the notes that it it pointedly said to use um elite editors in the major media to um, disseminate these talking points. And if you look at all, literally all of the specials that were made following the assassination, all of the CBS specials, all of the NBC specials, all of the ABC specials, they, it's almost verbatim hit the talking points that are in that CIA document. So it was effective. But to, to follow up on that, uh, can you guys hear me? Okay. Uh, I came across a document that kind of dovetails that. I think it's very important one in one of the most really recent rele releases. I'm not sure I've talked about Randy might be aware of it, but uh, document was in early 1964 and it was associated with Alan Dulles and Dulles of course, was officially no longer a member of, of the CIA, having been dropped or removed by the Kennedys, but he was all, he also was, you know, on the Warren Commission. And it's, this is, this document's coming from Richard Helms, you know, familiar with him. He was, I believe, direct, deputy director of plans in the CIA, number, probably number two in the CIA at that time, but mostly Helms would become number one, of course. But Helms is sending a, a uh, notice directly, a classified notice to Alan Dulles. Now, keep in mind, Alan Dulles is a private citizen. He's not a member of the CIA. What is it? What is a top guy in the CIA sending a classified document to a private citizen about? Well, it was about exactly what Randy's document was talking about. It was a, a notifying Dulles that a British author, uh, his name escaped me right now, was was one of the first to come out with a book critical or of the Warren Report, or not, which hadn't even been out yet. Excuse me, was projecting the idea of conspiracy, and that you you Alan Dulles should be alerted to the fact and take what steps are necessary. And in effect, it, it's it's it shows that Dulles was the de facto head. I think. Of the cover-up, you know, he he was as Randy can attest. He uh, Dulles 
was the one guy at the most meetings in the Warren Commission. A lot of the commissioners didn't spend any time. Dulles was there all the time, controlling the evidence. He had the most to gain. There's good argument to be made that Dulles is in the middle of the assassination, that he is, in effect, the uh, fox running the hen house as he's running, you know, running, controlling the Warren Commission, reporting and actively attacking anybody early on. That was the CIA objective that, that was basically the, what the document said, countering critics. They didn't just counter critics. They went after them. They tried to smear people like Mark Lane. And it was a clear and forceful attempt at cover-up early on to control the story. And, and that, that document indicated that and kind of follows up with what, what uh, the one you just showed. Uh, I want to I, I do you one better with um, Dulles. So what I found out in the 2021 documents while researching it last night was that the CIA was keeping information on the Warren Commission. There's a document on that. But also there was a thing where I bring up the point of the CIA having more power than even what the president knew about. And that is an aspect of this document right here with Alan Dulles um, that was sent. So this was a memorandum from Director of Security, Subject Roselli and the Mahu Matter. Um, I probably saying that name wrong. Um, Mayhew. Mayhew. But um, references made to the 21st May 1975 memorandum from Mr. Scott D. Breckenridge, which outlines his review of the Department of Justice files on the Roselli and Mayhew matter. This are the undersigned reviewed reference memorandum and discovered an apparent discrepancy between the Office of Security files and the Department of Justice files. Paragraphs 9 and 10 or of reference memorandum reflect that the Department of Justice records contain a 22nd May 1961 report of an FBI interview with Colonel Sheffield Edwards. During this FBI interview, Colonel Edwards allegedly stated that only Mr. Bissell and the two others in CIA were aware of the Jaikea Mayhew activity and that Alan Dulles was completely unaware of Edwards contact with Mayhew in this connection office of security files reflect that Mr. Alan Dulles had approved the entire operation against Castro thus inferring that he would have been aware of plans to approach Robert A. Mayhew further out files reflect that six agency people were aware of the operation Alan Dulles William Harvey Richard Bissell Sheffield Edwards Colonel J.C. King and James O'Connell the above is provided for your information discrepancy surface during the current inquiries into this matter there was just a lot of stuff where when we talk about alan dulles having more power than where i bring up the central intelligence agency is if you look at the bay of pigs there was a lot of events going on not just the bay of pigs incident but there was a lot of things where it seemed like the cia and i know people bring this up on a three-strike policy with kennedy of why they took him out was an aspect of they were used to getting their way they had their hands so far in there with Castro, Cuba, everything, that the JFK didn't know it all. What I saw in a lot of the JFK documentaries was that JFK you know, shook hands with Castro. They were kind of friends. They made peace in a sense. But there's in the 2021 documents, there is a interview that wasn't scripted. It wasn't planned. And it was Castro saying a lot of damning stuff when it comes to JFK. Because they captured 13 Americans trying to raid a uh, some type of cruise ship or some type of boat, a private boat of something that was published in the Cuba press. It was published in their local papers down there. They tried to raid some boat called the Amigo. So 
take it from you're a dictator in Cuba or you're, you're, you're Castro in a sense. If you're reading your town papers saying that they just captured 13 American soldiers trying to raid some type of boat ship or something like that named the Amigo off your coast, you go, I thought me and JFK had a reasonable agreement. It wasn't JFK that did the strike, but that's how you view it, because you're looking at the person who's in charge. And in a sense, everyone thinks the president is in charge, right? No, it's Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles had a planned thing with 13 American soldiers that got captured. That's in the 2021 documents that I found that you start going, OK, so he did that without JFK knowing he was just the CIA was doing a bunch of things without the president knowing. Now, instead of blaming Alan Dulles or Castro looking at Alan Dulles, now he's mad at JFK. And there's documents that state everything Castro said in that non-scripted interview was just off the top of his head. He doesn't actually feel these way. And that's what they were trying to say to cover up everything that he did say, because he said some stuff where he was like talking about America in a very bad way. It kind of seemed like what would lead to war in a sense or, oh, we're not friendly with these people at all. And you start getting into this aspect of that's evidence that you can question. That's things that you can question when you start looking at rogue operations or rogue defense intelligence agencies going off and doing things where necessarily they're not taking the fall, but they're involved in a lot of things that necessarily a lot of people aren't aware of. And I think JFK was one of those people that weren't aware of these activities. Well, it was certainly hard to get a handle on it. I think that's why he tried ultimately to get Bobby Kennedy to kind of oversee the Cuban operations ultimately. But yeah, I mean, there's no question that the CIA was a rogue operation. They were, uh, in fact, the, the document that you showed, you, uh, which is good stuff. You were digging into some stuff, Robbie, there that's significant there, mentioned Johnny Roselli. Uh, and that was basically the, the, and I've seen some important documents in that respect too. Johnny Roselli was the kind of the Hollywood mobster, the liaison between, ultimately a liaison of sorts between the CIA and the mob in terms of carrying out, and Mayhew was kind of the contact to, to bring Roselli in. But it, there are clear indications that the CIA basically sold its soul in, in effect by saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna deal with these gangsters. We're gonna do what we need to do to, to deal with Castro if it means colluding with." With mafia types like Johnny Roselli, so be it. Another person on that document is very significant. It was William Harvey. Harvey was an aggressive rogue agent within the CIA, James Bond type, who, who hated the Kennedys, certainly a prime suspect in the Kennedy assassination. And uh, really, I'm not. it may even be a continuation of that document you showed, Robbie, but there was a, the CIA ultimately put out a chronology of their entire relationship, classified, of course, with, with John Roselli. And one of the most intriguing things about that is that it's a very clear chronology of all their connections to Roselli and what they did until they got to 1962, 63, when William Harvey took over Roselli and started running and he was the, his handler. And then there's a clear statement on the document that says, we don't know what happened after that. <laughs> so it's, so they don't either are not saying or they don't know what happened when Harvey and Roselli started their activities, 62, 63. It's very suspicious. And you're right. This stuff is all rogue. It's, it's all beyond any scrutiny of any other agency. 
that's absolutely correct. And I think it's uh, it's important also to put put this in perspective of the relationship, like you mentioned, the relationship between Kennedy and Castro, and also Kennedy and Khrushchev, because both Castro and Khrushchev understood that the hardliners in the United States were vehemently opposed to Kennedy, just like the hardliners in the Soviet Union were vehemently opposed to Khrushchev's um, reaching out to Kennedy and Kennedy reaching out to Khrushchev. So they were facing enemies. And I think, I think Castro knew this and knew that Kennedy ultimately was not in control of his intelligence um, services and most likely his own military. As much as we can say, like the government, for instance, could label things disinformation, they can also imp- they can also implant their own. And this comes to an incident where I, I think we can all sit here in agreement and say that there was no Oswald in Mexico. Um, I think we've all gotten to that point. At least I have. I don't know if you guys agree that Oswald wasn't in Mexico, that it was a fake thing. I saw a statement from J. Edgar Hoover that said they could verify that it wasn't Oswald in Mexico. That's what I've always used to clear J. Edgar Hoover's name. But then when I'm looking through the 2021 documents, I got this one I can pull up for you. Um, Let me know. It pops up on your screen. So. This right here says from uh, Raymond A. Warren, Chief Latin American Division, Jack Anderson, 20th, it says titled CIA tied to false Oswald story, identification of the Mr. X in the Anderson column. The attached column citing the testimony of a Mr. X alleges that a CIA agent tried to link Oswald to Cuban intelligence officers in Mexico. There is, of course, no substance to the column's allegations. The column identifies the source of Mr. X because of his attempts of his life, but subsequently gives enough information on Mr. X to establish his identity. According to the Anderson column, Mr. X was first met by a CIA contact in Havana before relations with U.S. Cuba were severed. Mr. X had helped to organize bank accountants to embezzle Cuban government funds to finance anti-Castro causes. Mr. X was reportedly recruited by a Morris Bishop CIA contact to plan an attempt on Castro's life. The plan was to fire a bazooka from a nearby apartment building while Castro was delivering one of his marathon speeches. According to Anderson's column, the plot was discovered by Castro police and Mr. X escaped to Miami. Mr. X also reportedly tied to assassinate Castro in Chile in 1971 in league with the Venezuela, Louis, I can't even say his name, going to skip it, who is not being detained in, uh, is that Cacaris for the 6th October Cubana airline bombing. So this was one document that I found. And then there was another one. There's a guy named Avardo or something like that, that the CIA eventually found. This guy had said that he had met, he had saw from a distance Oswald at some club or something that was talking to, and this is their, their language, not mine, a red haired Negro. That's what they said. They said that hundred percent, that's not my own words. That's theirs. But they said that he saw Oswald talking to someone that fit this description and a statement came out says I the 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 guy with the red hair says I just want him dead and Oswald said I can make that happen for you and then he says well I can't go with you to America to do that he goes it's okay I'll do it by myself they took this guy in off that 
thinking that that was Oswald 100% because the guy verified that that was Oswald. They interrogated him and found out that that was all a fabrication. It was all a fake story. There was no Oswald or there was no event like that. The man had created that. That is in documents that they released in 2021 saying that. And then I also, um, when everyone, whenever I say like, bring up MK Ultra or something, uh, people always go like, oh, that's conspiracy talk or that's, you know, it's not real. And I go, okay, um, sure, it's not. Um, so I'm going to pull up uh, just this real quick. Uh, so, so the way that they would handle interrogation methods um, and... I think you'll find it pretty interesting too. Um, a lot of everything I'm pulling up is from 2021. You guys did all the work and all the past documents. I don't need to do that. Um, I'm going to look at the ones we got now. Um, younger generation attacking the newer stuff. Um, the Senate Select Committee has not yet actually scheduled DDO staffers who are now on active duty, but a, a specific request has been made to talk with James Kelly of EA Division regarding the assassination plot against Chan on Lee, whoever that is. The SSC has also expressed interest in several DDO staffers, including Robert Owen and Nestor Sanchez of LA Division, Arnold Silva, currently a career associate in Bronson Tweedy, who is on short-term contract in headquarters. We have been able to hold off the actual scheduling of substantive operational conversations pending a resolution on how to handle covert action material. FR Division is standing by to appear for a non-operational briefing covering organization mission ETC. So this whole thing is request for witnesses on operational substance. So this is basically, if you, oh, excuse me, if you scroll down, well, I'm going to scroll down here. Um, they talked about how they would handle interrogations with a lot of these witnesses. And I, I read it to Randy off air. Um, I think I pulled up the right document. Sorry, I got a lot. So in category 3B above, abuse and improperties, an important issue is how can legal rights of the individual be best protected in cases where U.S. law may have been violated? The problem of criminal jeopardy probably will not arise in the case of overseas operations, but the SSC could revive some of the domestic improperties covered by the Rockefeller Report, such as the LSD experiments or mail intercepts. So when they talk about your legal rights, for instance, if you're working in overseas operations, that doesn't apply. And then they say such as they can revive things from like the uh, domestic improperties covered by the Rockefeller report, such as LSD experiments or mail intercepts. So the issues which this could raise concern is an employee's need to have prior consultation with the OG. And they just, they literally list off a bunch of things of like what will be ethical concerns, but they just stated before and it's in legal language. If you read it, they just stated before, unless they're in overseas operations, they did the same thing with the Avado guy. I mentioned to you, they use the same tactics where I start going. When I brought up MK Ultra, I brought up like Jack Ruby or something. Nobody told me that on Jack Ruby's last psychiatric appointment, someone administered him a shot, a flu shot for something called walking ammonia. You can say that's conspiracy. You can say whatever. But immediately afterwards, he's having like visions of Jews burning in a street and he's having these weird hallucinations and things of that sort. He ends up dying. I think I don't know how how long it took until he died. But that same person was a CIA operative that also was involved in LSD testing during like a lot of the stuff with the central intelligence central intelligence agency experimenting on LSD where I start going, okay, so the idea that they're not using LSD or they're not testing LSD, we know that they test LSD, but people want to say that's conspiracy. That's documentation talking about reviving things to interrogate people with LSD. So I think that's, like I said, 
These are things you can question. I'm not saying this is proof of 100% exposing, and I'm not trying to you know, come up with an answer here. I'm just saying these are things you can read if you do enough digging, and you'll find that raise red flags to me. I'm not saying I'm exposing anything. I'm just saying these are things that you can question. And I start going, how many times in the 2021 documents I came across something where they stated Marina Oswald's involvement being a Russian spy? I came across four different documents talking about Marina Oswald in that sense. And they actually spelled her middle name wrong, which is the discrepancy, David, me and you talked about when it came to Lee Harvey Oswald. In the documents, they called him Henry. That was a labeling issue on the files that the Mexico offices or whatever sent over a document saying it was a filing issue. Take that for whatever you want. But they also mentioned Marina Oswald a couple of times. And out of the 150 pages of documents that you can look up on the National Archives, there's about five different documents that talk about Marina Oswald. And I start going, if they say that you can revive some of these methods of LSD interrogation or these types of things that they used on Avardo, the guy who said that he saw Oswald meeting and talking about killing the president, where no cash exchange was involved, that's a completely fabricated story. You, you're, they're labeling Marina Oswald as maybe a possible Russian asset. A possible, she's learning an advanced language in English really, really fast. Even though those are like okay, those are minor details. But does that mean that they can now experiment on her with LSD when we talk about interrogations, or they can perform maybe more drastic acts in their interrogations? To me, that adds more weight to the aspect of when we talk about she went with the official story of the Warren Commission. Maybe it wasn't just money, but maybe it was being forced in these interrogation rooms as well, too. I think that is something that you can you can question. You can race to the table on something. Well, from a standpoint, obviously the CI is on the document that you showed is obviously admitting, you know, on the record, you know, they're violating U.S. law. I mean, what we can do overseas, what we can do here. I mean, the, the original charter of the CIA was strictly to involve themselves in things of a foreign nature. Any operations, like they just mentioned, a mail intercept, what is that? That's a domestic program. Like they're violating their charter. Or, like you said, utilizing, uh, you know, with the MK Ultra potential LSD experiments and things like that you know whether they did it offshore or onshore i mean that they they just lost all anything in terms of morality in terms of their behavior there, there was there was no limit you know you know to, in terms of ethics in which they operated in and whether the, the Cold War justified that, I'm sure they thought that that was the case. We're justified. We, we want to do LSD experiments. We want to have an, a CIA agent named Olson jump out the, the window and all that. I think if you're familiar with all that things, then it's okay because all in the name of the Cold War, we can justify anything. And we have no scrutiny. There's no... There's no accountability to their actions in the 1950s and 1960s. And I think they they got to the point they thought they could do just about anything. And then, and then the Kennedy brothers got in their way. I mean, I, I, I can, that's kind of my narrative to add on to what you had to say. Yeah, and to piggyback on what David just said, <clears throat> it, wasn't, it wasn't a sense that there were rogue agents in the CIA the agency itself was rogue. 
know, they uh, um, got, it was Dulles, it was Dulles who said that um, you should never put the in front of CIA because you would never put the in front of God. So Dulles and others saw, saw the CIA as, as one would see God, overarching, complete control. And, and so, yeah, they were out of control. Kennedy knew it. And that's why, like David said earlier, he wanted to scatter the, the uh, CIA into the four winds. So just to make sure that everything I said about this guy's testimony being fake is backed up by evidence, I also uh, got this to pull up. That is from the document as well, too. December 1963, data dissemination headquarters cables and dissemination to the FBI on the results of an examination of a polygraph by Gilberto Alvardo. The reinterrogation of Gilberto Alvardo, Nicaraguan informant who claimed to have seen Lee Harvey Oswald receive or Lee Oswald receive money to assassinate Kennedy has been concluded. Our Mexico City station advises us that Alvardo admitted he must have been mistaken in saying that he saw Oswald in the Cuban embassy. Also, he was uncertain of the date on which he might have seen someone like Oswald and thought it must have been on a Tuesday, which would have been uh, 17th of September, 1963. Although the final report of the polygraph interview is not yet available, the preliminary finding is that Alvaro uh, evidenced deception reactions when talking about Oswald. It is expected that Alvaro will be deported to Nicaragua on November or December 9th, 1963. Um, and this literally talks about it goes in depth basically in the interrogation report that during the interrogation attaches a translation of the mexican police interrogation report on Gil, uh, gilberto alvado nicaraguan who claimed to have seen lee harvey oswald accept six thousand five hundred dollars in the cuban embassy in mexico city to assassinate president kennedy the report states that alvado retracted these assertions and admitted that he had made them um to induce the u.s to take stronger action against cuba the two per two persons whom alvado met and to whom he first told his story are undoubtedly officers of this agency. His claim that they used FBI credentials is, of course, absolutely false. Our officers use no credentials in Mexico City. As you know, Alvaro retracted the confession of the fabrication which he made to the Mexican police and had to re-interrogate it by representatives of this agency and your bureau. This later interrogation showed that he was probably lying. So that was just to back up everything I basically said from memory so i mean i went digging last night dude i got really like i was looking through the i mean it's pretty laid out i think it's about having i guess the time and the willingness to scroll through a bunch of documents some that were just like that page that were kind of difficult to read um and a lot of legal speak as well too but going off that i wanted to hold on i wanted to pull up so i'm Garrison's name gets mentioned a lot. Um, a lot of people researched Garrison or talk about Garrison and everything that he's done um, when it came to the Kennedy assassination. Um, there was an article way before I got into the Kennedy assassination about a person named William Colby. William Colby, if you look up his name and you talk about Watergate, articles that are published on that scenario talk about how the CIA's credibility could never be rebuilt after what William Colby had done um, exposing you know, Operation Phoenix and a lot of these issues that were going on when it came to tapping Americans' phones and a lot of kind of a little bit more of what came on the Watergate scandal. 
I saw this with Garrison's name attached. And I think this is pretty interesting. James Garrison, George Brown, possible attempt to embarrass agency. So just with that headline, if you start understanding where the CIA is, what we've de I've described it as basically as being a rogue agency, and you're talking about doing whatever it really takes to get rid of their enemies, possibly assassinating JFK, when your name is listed James Garrison and George Brown, possible attempt to embarrass the agency, do you really think they're going to let that happen? Do you think they're going to just let you, you know, provide a bunch of evidence or they're going to try and slander your name however they can and maybe block you from being able to release whatever you have to release? So I can read a little bit of this. It says President or it says Herbert Friendsley, president of Brown and Root Inc. Um, reported to Haynes on 26 December. Let me zoom in this a little bit, my old eyes, that Mr. George Brown had received a disturbing telephone call on Friday, 22nd of December, 1960. Seven from Hugh Ainsworth, Houston bureau reporter for Newsweek magazine. Ainsworth told Brown that he had received information from Bill Gervidge, um, former assistant to New Orleans District Attorney James Garrison, that Garrison might try to impl implicate Brown in the Kennedy assassination plot. The allegation is that in some unspecified manner, Brown was involved with the CIA and its objective to of covering up the conspiracy for President Johnson. Ainsworth said Gervidge had documents, including at least one in Garrison's own handwriting, which presumably had been extracted from Garrison files. Ainsworth indicated that if desired, he could secure these documents from Gervidge for review for Brown. In view of Brown's close cooperation with the agency and its funding operations, Brown asked Friendsley to communicate this information to Haynes. It is reported to headquarters that only a matter of information, neither Brown nor Friendsley expect any response. So I, I just thought that was interesting because like I mentioned in the beginning about Johnson's involvement and me not thinking Johnson was involved. Like I said, when I went into these files, I wasn't expecting like I could sit there and be like, it's 100 percent the Central Intelligence Agency. But then I would have only chose the documents that would have fit that narrative. I went in with nothing. I went in with I don't care if it's Oswald. I don't care if it's this. I don't care if it's that. And I don't care if it's Johnson. I, I want to know the truth. And that is 100% against what I said, where Johnson might have been involved in it. That was a document stating that it might have been possible that there was a, also another cover up to uh, not implicate Johnson, but protect Johnson. Look, I can give some context to that. I mean, the whole Garrison thing, in fact, another important document, I think, kind of dovetails I came across. So obviously, the CIA and others were trying to destroy the Garrison case. The, 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 there was a lot of misspelling on that document. But the, I believe Randy, I mean, the, the na actual name was Gervich, was one of, was, was one of Garrison's so-called investigators who ultimately you know, stole files and gave it to the opposition. And Ainsworth, a, a Dallas reporters, had intelligence connections since day one. He basically tried to infiltrate and report on you mentioned Lyndon Johnson. Ainsworth sent direct communications to Lyndon Johnson about the course of the Garrison case and what they were trying to do to stop it. So, uh, you know, a, a media person actually doing their job, Hugh Ainsworth, no, it was a, it was a concerted effort to destroy Garrison. A, a doc, another document I came across here within the last few months were basically uh, Garrison was going to the Netherlands, I believe, uh, to be appear on Dutch TV, and and uh, 
there's the the document talks about trying to release disinformation to discredit Garrison, even in Europe. I mean, they were they were tracking Garrison all the way across the pond in the Atlantic, trying to to demean and destroy his his efforts to bring light to the case. So there was an active effort uh, on the part of the CIA on multiple fronts to 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 uh, limit any investigation by Garrison or anyone else. The previous document you brought up, I think that was an, ex an example where uh, the CIA's assets, St. Oswald accepted $6,500. I mean, those people all came out of the, the woodwork after the assassination trying to, trying to connect Oswald to Castro or the Russians. And I think there were mainly probably assets of, I would guess that that was an asset of of David Atlee Phillips, I'm guessing, CIA operative, but I'm just speculating. But that would be my spin on those two documents that you showed. Randy, if you want to jump in there, go ahead. But that's that's my spin on what you were looking at there. Yeah, I think it's, um, by the way, great find. Way to dig through these new documents, Robbie. I got a couple the, more. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, the uh, It's so funny to see Hugh Ainsworth in that document because like, like David just said, he was uh, a willing asset um, and right and parroted the talking points that were in 1035 and 960 throughout his reporting. He was um, he was a major critic of Garrison and sought to undermine the investigation on behalf of the FBI and the CIA. And um, um, I got where I was going with that. Well, but, it, it's interesting. I mentioned to Randy before you joined David and we started the podcast was that in his film, The Searchers, um, he talked about Geraldo Rivera showing the Zapruder film and he showed a long clip of the whole thing leading up to him and then him showing it. When you guys mention Geraldo Rivera, you guys have a different view of him than I do. I know him as this CNN correspondent person that has been like always sticking to the narrative. But it seemed like back then he was more than willing to accept conspiracy at times and really highlight that. And then there was a shift off that Randy does mention in his film. So, I mean, it's, it's very, very interesting. I mean, I always mentioned with Randy, like the Searchers film. I mean, it's good. It's really good. Didn't win an award. When it came to national television or 60 minute interview, he definitely should have gotten one. But you got to look at what does get publicized. You have things like, you know, a Posner book. You have things like that. And I'm going to eventually talk to Posner. Um, I just, you get a bunch of things where you start, I, like, I'm trying to understand as many perspectives as possible, but I'm also not seeing a fair game be tossed out to both. You know, if you can say that you're not going to touch the JFK assassination when it comes to conspiracy, the media won't, but you'll touch a flat earth documentary. You'll publicize that like I, I get into this area of like controversial or conspiracy to a point, right? When it becomes real, when you, there's objective things you can question, when there's things that you can speculate and you can say these are red flags, you choose not to go into it. And you start realizing that there's a deep back to that 1035 document. There is a deep, deep kind of lock on this so old that people don't even want to touch it because they're stepping on things that have been there in place for a very, very long time. Maybe it's to, they're afraid to shake a foundation or they're just afraid. I have no clue. Um, one thing I wanted to pull up here um, that I thought was interesting um, was the 
whenever we bring up Oswald's a CIA intelligence, I always hear people say there's no proof of that. Um, I'm going to show proof of that, and I'm also going to show what they might be talking about as well, too. Um, so this is from the 2021 documents as well, too. Um, it's to Lauren Dank, executive director um, from Michelle Combs, associate director for research and review. Subject, no evidence of contact between Lee Harvey Oswald and the CIA's Office of Operations. One of the enigmas that has surrounded Lee Harvey Oswald's defection and redefection is the question of whether the CIA's Office of Operations, later the Domestic Contacts Division, interviewed or took note of Oswald either before his trip or upon his return from the Soviet Union. The available evidence is somewhat contradictory. The CIA is long claimed that Oswald was never a source asset or employee of the CIA. Yet in November 25th, 1963, Mirandum discusses the re recollections of a CIA staff officer that the agency considered interviewing Oswald. Further, another former CIA officer, Donald E. Demacelia had stated that he recalls regarding an OQ debriefing report in the summer of 1962 from a former Marine defector who had worked at a Minsk radio factory. The review board could not uh, corroborate the recollections of the two former CIA officers with additional records or information. And in any effort to clarify the mystery, the review board searched for records that might confirm or deny any contact between Oswald and the CIA before or after his time in the Soviet Union. In the early 1960s, the Office of Operations was part of a directorate of intelligence. This office, which interviews American citizens who might have come into contact with information or individuals of intelligence interest overseas, later became the Domestic Contacts Division of the Directorate of operations. The office normally only contacts individuals after receiving questions or requirements from intelligence community customers looking for particular types of information. So that what interests me about that was that this quote from a CIA person, um, I, I, I tried to find out where that was. Like I tried to figure out who was this person that they were talking about? Where did they get that quote from? Who are they mentioning when it came to this person? So Subject, CIA files on Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, in this document that I just showed you, they said they couldn't find anything. The CIA had stated that they have no files on Oswald, despite that one CIA person saying he interviewed someone who um, had stated he recalls a debriefing report of the summer of 1962 from a former Marine defector who had worked at a Minsk radio factory. Now, Oswald was in the military. He was in the Marines. So is he talking about Oswald? I have no clue. But then we get to this thing right here. So this is... Center for Studies and Intelligence, uh, Central Intelligence Agency, Mr. John Pereira, whatever the last name is, subject CIA files on Lee Harvey Oswald. This is this is to acknowledge my telecom yesterday with David Grease and with John Perea reissue of whether Oswald was ever debriefed by the agency and to respond to John's request for documents, which may have bearing on this issue. First, a point of order. It is my belief and the belief of the agency personnel with whom I have discussed this matter that your file should not contain the infamous debrief. It strains credibility that the agency would purposely persist in saying there was no debrief um, when in fact it had a copy of it somewhere in its extensive, if sometimes sloppy, record system. It would have been founded by 1993. The issue is not whether you have it now, rather it is whether it occurred in the past and was destroyed. We can all talk and theorize and argue over what it might mean later. For now, the task at hand is simply to take all necessary steps to find out. I urge extreme caution in stating flatly that there was no debrief until such steps had been th uh, thoroughly exhausted. I was surprised to find out after the frontline documentary aired, for example, that there was some new pieces on the subject. I'm not 
in, in the not too distant future. I attached a copy of a CIA document 435-173A attached memo dated 25th November 1963 by a TBC, whom I believe might be one Mr. Tom Cornier possibly a former head of SR-6 branch Soviet Russia division. At this, at the time, Lee Harvey Oswald returned to the U.S. in the summer of 1962. TBC stated he discussed the laying on of interviews with Oswald, either while he was en route or after his arrival. Because TBC made a typographical error where when he mentioned or when he typed 1960 instead of 1962, the HSCA foolishly dismissed the veracity of this entire document. So wow. this, it, it says, I'm trying to figure out where the, because I don't want to keep reading it and bore you guys, but it says, I refer to you to Mr. Donald Demeslia, a CIA employee in the contacts division in 1962, who told the HSCA in 1978 that he had read Anderson's debrief and, and described his contents to the HSCA interlocutors. He will tell you today that what he had been saying for 30 years. Don Demesa does not have a book and shuns any publicity. It took Frontline almost a year to get to him to agree to interview on the record. He says that he he says what he says, not for any personal gain because there is none. There's only to dispute. He says it because he remembers reading the debrief. If I were you, I would have a long talk with Don, then I would find out all this. But it's basically exactly what that guy quoted saying, um, that he mentioned uh, – a memo for record dated 3rd December 1963 by Mr. Birch O'Neill, subject Lee Harvey Oswald. O'Neill's memo is about polygraphing Aldevero, but is the reversed handwriting in the upper right-hand corner. I don't know. I uh, I ended up ranting again. I'm sorry. Um, but it was talking about the, what I mentioned earlier about the person who said that he interviewed someone from like the 1960s at a radio factory in Mint, someone with that background. And that was Oswald in a sense. Um, David, did you have something to say? You got kind of leaned forward like you. But I thought that was interesting. Um, that was another document that was verifying that maybe when they talked about a debrief, that he debriefed someone who worked at a radio factory. They're saying the CIA didn't even call that a debrief. So that's how they're getting out of one of their lies, saying they had no file on Oswald. But we know they had intelligence and they were surveilling his mail and shit for almost four years. And then the week before the assassination, they dropped it all. So they're lying about that as well, too. But the way that they're getting out of their lies by saying, well, there was no official debrief. And the guy's CIA agent who talked to the guy said, yeah, I, it, that was a debrief. That was a debrief. Me talking to him was a debrief, 100%. Where I bring up the aspect of how many times does everyone say Jack Ruby was just a wannabe mafia guy, a wannabe big time shot? Maybe Oswald was a wannabe CIA. We know his mom said that he was possibly CIA. They have male readings of Oswald of um, people saying that his mail seemed like it was encrypted in some type of weird context. There were no grammatical errors where there were normally grammatical errors in his writings where you start going. Maybe he was interviewed by the CIA, like they mentioned in one of the documents I read. Maybe he was interviewed. And how many people were CIA back then? You start wondering, is it like how when I watch a Western movie, could I just dress up like a cowboy and know how to talk like a cowboy and act like a cowboy because the movies were based on it. Maybe he picked up a lot of things because a lot of people were CIA back then. And in my opinion, surprisingly open about being involved in the CIA. I mean, the pains getting linked in there as well, too. You start realizing like maybe a lot of their tactics or a lot of the way that they act and these types of methods and these performance type things that they do 
became more known and maybe he picked up on some of those. Maybe he wasn't exactly central intelligence agency, but maybe he was interviewed. Maybe he was doing a lot of things on his own accord as well, too. That kind of seemed like spy tactics. And that's why maybe some confusion on some of these things as well. Let, let me uh, let me interject how I, I see that. And, I'm, and Robbie, I'm going to have to probably step out for a little bit and I'll try to make it back to, for okay. your second session. If I don't get on the beginning of it, I'll try to get back in. But Let's let's look at Oswald first of all. From the standpoint, you're you're really on track here uh, with your perception of him. But number one, I just think it's virtually impossible that Lee and I'm, I'm sure Randy would agree that that Lee Harvey Oswald could have gotten to the Soviet Union without some sort of help from a, some intelligence or military apparatus. I mean, uh, he had two hundred dollars in his bank account. It, it would have taken literally thousands of dollars to make that trip on his own. And that those that would have been far more expensive in, in the 1950s than it would be today. And I, and I agree with you. I absolutely think that that uh, Oswald was debriefed. And, and maybe the, the 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 limited hangout on that was he probably was debriefed before he came back into the United States. Uh, how, how could you not? Let's just say let's give the CIA the benefit of the doubt and say, no, they had no engagement. Or maybe uh, maybe it was naval intelligence. Some people believe that. They may have sent fake defectors to, to the Soviet Union. Uh, that might carry more weight. Even still, how could the CIA ignore someone who has lived in, in claimed to be a, a defector then decided not to in a in a country like the Soviet Union was closed and just allow him to walk back into the United States with no debrief, it, that, that, is, that stretches the imagination beyond anything that's rational. So my, that, that would be my spin uh, on the whole thing. Uh, and again, I'm going to have to step out for a minute. Randy, you want to take that one up? What, I, before you go real quick, David. Yeah, sure. Just one point to add to that. Could it be possible that maybe the reason why he we, we say he's linked to the Central Intelligence Agency is the same way Dulles was doing operations without any known things from the president? Is it possible that there's been individual actors in the Central Intelligence Agency that might have had their own protocols or own methods that they were displaying, and one person took a hold of Oswald like a protege in a sense and sent him out? Very on all these things? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, Obviously, the CIA was very compartmentalized. Maybe some things were going on and nobody else, one hand didn't know what the other hand was doing. I, I absolutely think that's a very viable way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, but somebody was handling Lee Harvey. Oswald just didn't hop out of the Marines all of a sudden, jump a plane and go to the Soviet Union and live. There, there was an agenda behind him. It was now, Angleton. Yeah, I mean, who was who was running Oswald in, in the Soviet Union? But somebody was. I, that, that would be my spin on it all. And so, okay. anyway, I, I've got to go for a little bit, Robbie. Randy. I'll, ca I'll catch you later on the panel, to you. David. Continue the conversation, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. <clears throat> Randy, what do you got to add to that? I got some more documents to pull up. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, the one thing that comes to mind is the fact that in, in the JFK assassination case, every, uh, virtually every single time Oswald was interviewed, somehow the transcripts of the interview or the notes 
were destroyed or have gone missing or no notes were taken. So the, I, th I think it's ridiculous to think that he wasn't debriefed. Um, it's not ridiculous to think that the notes of the debrief were destroyed. Well, even in his interrogation, nobody recorded anything, nobody written anything down. When I talked to Bart Camp, the way that they got like things that even be able to trace of what they wrote down or that the paper that was thrown away, the under pad part, the paper that was under that piece of paper, they shaded it and they were able to pick up the words like old spy tactics to read letter that was written on something that wasn't there anymore. And it was stuff like that, that they were pulling out information on. And you start realizing like you have, you're interrogating. And this is where I say the Dallas police, a lot of people boil this down to the Dallas police, which after this people listening, which is going to be the episode right after this, there's going to be a bigger panel with everybody. We'll probably discuss some of the same issues as well too. So you might have to wait for tomorrow for that episode. Sorry. Um, but a lot of the people experts that I talked to, a lot of people blame Dallas police. I think you can hundred percent raise them up there as well too. But when we talk about Oswald, he, if he's being blamed for killing the president, if the FBI, the CIA, everybody involved in looking into the assassination of who killed John F. Kennedy, they all think it's Oswald. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. If you're looking at the Dallas police angle, how corrupt was Dallas police? Dallas police back then had issues with gangs. There was a lot of individual actors, the captain of the police force, a couple people, I don't, can't remember their names exactly that were, they were very destructive and covering up and people were afraid of that. You know, they're, they're easily like witnesses, for instance, they were easily able to step down from whatever they were trying to say because of fear of Dallas police. And you get to the issue of, if you have a person in your custody that maybe we don't even have to look at the central intelligence footprints that could be on his profile, but just the eyes that are now getting brought onto you, the CIA, the FBI, and think if they talked about how open a lot of those people were in the KKK, think how open they were when it came to drug dealing and it came to other things tied in with the mafia back then as well, too. You start going, you're having a bunch of eyes now looking into a lot of things that you were so routinely used to running. This guy needs to get out of here. And the person that was in charge of taking Oswald into custody to be transferred, his plan of strategy was having four people, one grabbing his left arm, one grabbing his right, one standing behind him and one standing in front of him. And instead, what does the person do that's standing right in front of them to block the press as they're getting pulled up that video we can all see where Jack Ruby comes up, sticks a, you know, a gun to his stomach and shoots him in the gut. You know, the guy goes and opens up the door. Your whole fucking job is to stand in front of the guy. That's it. But you go, I'm going to open up the door. I get it. It's a mistake. It happens. You're just trying to get the guy in the car. Right. But that's that's not an effective strategy to protect. A, a, a basically a person that is being labeled to killing the president and then you look the most, at the okay. most important um alleged assassin the most important um alleged criminal in the history of the united states and they let protocol slip so when protocol breaks down that's the indication of a larger plot because protocol at that level if in moments of that importance don't break down it just doesn't so that was meant to be well i even said like this is not about exposing things these are just about things that you can question another thing you can question and where i find myself looming over is jack ruby 
what the hell was going on with Jack Ruby at the time of this? Did you know Jack Ruby wanted to close down his club for three days after literally putting an ad out? Putting He spent money putting out an ad. Couldn't get his money back. So he decided to keep his club closed in honor of Jackie Kennedy, basically saying his heart goes out to her. Now you're telling me a mafia guy who owns a strip club is somehow having sentimental or, uh, I guess, emotional concern for Jackie's well-being, which the Warren Commission report states. I can't buy that. I really can't. I can't buy that as much as I can't buy the magic bullet theory. But you know what? We'll go on that. What was going on in Jack Ruby's life? Well, before Oswald was killed, he was $44,000 in debt. He was losing his club, a lot of things. Then after Oswald is killed, what happens? He's speculating buying another club. His debts are gone. That's things you can question. Where did that, where did that all go? Where does $44,000 come from? You start realizing that it got taken over from it was originally the IRS and it was then in the hands of the FBI. Well, why does the FBI care about Jack Ruby's debt? And why is Jack Ruby not worried about his debt anymore? Why is he speculating buying another club? That's very, very interesting things I think you can raise the question to. Another thing, well, I can show you here why it's just me and you. Um, what's uh, right so I always keep hearing about these curtains. You keep hearing about these curtains. People keep talking about Oswald went back for some, you know, the curtain rods. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but what I'm assuming it is, is I'm assuming it's code for this. That I'm about to show on screen right here once it loads. Um, so you can see what I see, right? Yep. So it says U.S. Army personnel who deserted to Iron Curtain countries. I'm assuming that's what they're talking about. I'm sure these curtain rods somehow got story told, like the storyteller effect that gets passed down, passed down. Eventually, people lose the actual essentialness of it. Well, this is a comparison with the list of the U.S. defector program produced the following results. Of the 26 names, 17 were U.S. defector program, and all of these had 201 files. We had different spellings of two surnames, Zavoka or Zapoka and Valentin Valentin. Of the seven we had the same uh, location information for 10 and different locations for the following. Oswald's not listed here out of these names. It's a bunch of people that defected to what they called Iron Curtain countries. I don't really know what they mean by Iron Curtain countries. I'm just, this is what was interesting to me because I hear people talking about Oswald and fucking curtain rods, and I have no idea what that means. And it says right here, do we owe the FBI a note on any of these? Are we free to input the nine names we do not hold? And there's a scribble mark says no, and it's underlined. So I, to me, that was interesting. Um, I don't, that's I only I got I mean I got like 10 more documents but I'm just going to end up showing uh one but I'm assuming that's what they mean by the curtains and then no um the uh the iron curtain was a term that um um that I believe Churchill coined to describe the uh the former Soviet Union and its allies um and so all the communist countries were behind an iron curtain um, the curtain rods that that they say Oswald um, that Oswald said he picked up from Ruth Payne's house the day of the assassination um, were were different, and that's what. Um, so, th they're two different things. Okay. Yeah, and then um, a lot of this 
documents, which I found interesting. I talked to a guy named Greg Parker. He's in Australia who researches this type of, uh, he researches the Kennedy assassination. I was always interested, like, why is someone from Australia interested in something that's like an American event? And they heard about it over there too. And what was really interesting in the 2021 release of the documents out of everything I've shown was this news clipping that the CIA found um, that came from Australia. And the title of this is CIA withheld vital intelligence from the Warren Commission. So it's by Robert S. Allen and Paul Scott, Washington, October 20th, the Central Intelligence Agency withheld vital uh, intelligence information from the Warren Commission during its investigation of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, despite the commission's written report for all documents or written requests for all documents that might shed light on the assassination. CIA authorities failed to turn over a national intelligence estimate warning that it is Kremlin policy to remove from public office by the assassination Western officials who actively oppose Soviet policies, titled Soviet Strategic Executive Action. The suppressed CIA documents went, our document went into the shocking details of how agents of KGB, the Soviet secret uh, police, are trained to do away with the Western leaders, including officials in the US, and to make their deaths appear due to natural causes. I mean, I'm sorry for people listening. I'm reading a oh. document that is very, very faded. Um, it's not easily readable, I would say. So bear with me if I make a mistake on something, I'll try and correct myself. But one of the KB, KGB's newly devised assassination weapons is a pneumatically operated poison ice atomizer, which leaves no wound or other evidence of the cause of death. While this deadly weapon has yet to be used against any high Western official, hundreds of KGB agents covertly operating outside of Russia have been supplied with this pocket-sized gun awaiting any orders from Moscow to use it. The murder weapon highlights of the suppressed intelligence estimate, which is locked in the security area within the tightly guarded CIA, are as follows. It has been reported that the KGB endeavors to remove the threat to the Soviet interests posed by certain members of Western governments, sometimes arranging for the dismissal of such persons from public office at other times, even having them eliminated physically. Such activities are known to be undertaken taken against other types of persons in the West, not notably defectors from the USSR and from other countries of the Soviet bloc. One recently reported assassination technique is to electrocute an individual by luring him to um, use a telephone connected to a high voltage wire during a thunderstorm. That seems so fucking, that's so out there. That's such a, that's such a fantasy type scenario. That's um, crazy, but it would work. It, yeah. And it says other suppressed documents, other U.S. intelligence experts, um, very dubious of Russia's coexistence lines, stress that the Warren Commission's findings might have been different if the CIA estimate and other documents uh, suppressed by the State Department had been available for study. They point out that the State Department suppressed evidence linking Oswald with one of its employees, who, according to security files, presented strong uh, pro-Soviet views on every question that came up in the departments of the USSR country committee while he was a member. This State Department official's name also appeared in the address book of the suspected Soviet agent who arrived in the U.S. in 1943, according to government files. Congressional investigators also have been sh uh, shocked up 
or shocked to discover that the CIA's assassination shown by the administration officials to Speaker John McCormack um, next in line to succeed President Johnson. While FBI officials warned Speaker McCormack, a dedicated anti-communist, that he is on the list of Western officials featured by the Kremlin, no CIA authority has shown the number two man in government. The CIA reported listing that the secret Soviet assassination methods. Instead, McCormick learned that the report only recently from congressional probers who are trying to determine why the document has been suppressed. The investigators also are trying to determine why the CIA and its pre-assassination report to the State Department on Oswald's trip to Mexico City gave details any of the defectors' visits to the Russian embassy and not the Cuban embassy. Ah, my mouth is dry. Wow. So it just a lot of stuff here that's like it's a very back and forth. So I can get why it gets confusing. I mean, it's confusing to me, and I'm the one reading it in front of you right now. Um, I just think that it's interesting if you look through these documents. I mean, I encourage, if anything, this episode is to encourage people to go look through some of these things because you'll find some interesting things and you'll find some stuff that you can raise flags on. You can question the idea that you can't question things and any types of things that you want to question are conspiracy talk. I don't eliminate any of them, I validate them all. I said, you can choose whatever, whatever you want to believe, mafia, Texas police, Lyndon Johnson, Oswald, Lone Nut, I don't care. The idea that there's still documents hidden, you're all kind of look, I mean, maybe the Lone Nutters not so much because they kind of think everything's wrapped. But when you say questioning things, these are things you can question. And my fear is that the way that I think, the way that you think, the way that everyone that questions things like this think is going to end up becoming rare. And when you let that become rare, people can say, good, no more conspiracy talk. Do you honestly think your government really cares about you? Do you really think that we're living in a democracy right now? Do you really think that when something that is weird, something that you can speculate, something that obviously is questionable, you're saying you can't question? Like when I bring up 9-11, why is it different when I say 9-11 was a conspiracy? You go, you're a nut. But then if one of the family members says it, did you know the family members want a second investigation? Did you know that they want things to be done right? But you'll accept that because their family members died in 9-11. That shouldn't be like that. My opinion on it should be as validated as their opinion. Now, it hurts them more, obviously. But the things that we both question, it shouldn't be the weight of the words that come out of the person's mouth. My words coming out of my mouth might be different than John Judge's, but if they're both speculating in the same direction, imagine John Judge's words in my mouth, me saying that. Would that sound crazy to you because I'm younger and I might not be as involved in the assassination as him? It's validating based on expertise, but how do you base expertise in something that everyone labels a conspiracy or everyone labels not true or everyone labels that, that there's, no, there's nothing else to investigate here? That's why I don't shut out any of this. I validate it all. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important to, I think it's important to validate um, people who question anything, um, but especially when, when that person has done research and can back up their arguments. Um, and so just in this brief amount of time that we've been together today, those are compelling documents that, that you shared with us. Um, and it also shows that, that, I mean, you keep calling yourself um, youngster who doesn't know much, but I would say that you're doing, you're doing great research. You're taking the time to read documents, 
to disseminate the documents, to tear them apart, and to form questions that will help all of us learn more about the assassination. You know what I mean? So every little, every little piece of the documents that you reveal today um, just add more to what we all know and are learning about the assassination. Every little bit helps piece this puzzle together for us. So, and to ask questions about your government, about your society, is what, what used to make the United States different, that, that it was encouraged. Asking questions was encouraged. Asking questions was patriotic. I personally still believe that. Um, I still believe that we, I, you know, I said this to you last time, but I'm hopeful because of researchers who are like you, who are doing work, who are reading the documents and getting them out to fellow researchers and to the public, the layperson in the public. Um, and the fact that we can still, that we're still getting documents and that they're not just being, well, they may be, be being burned and destroyed. And so many documents have been destroyed, um, secret service documents primarily. But the fact that we're getting more and more documents should give us hope. Um, so ultimately, the message that I take away from today's discussion and the documents in general is one of hope. Because if it wasn't for you and res other researchers going through the documents, working to reveal the truth behind the assassination, um, we would truly be lost. But that's why I have hope still. That's why we have the searchers film too. It's basically exactly what you said, just videotaped down and expertly right. <laughs> done, by the way. We have Thank a panel you. we got to get to, but um, everyone listening, it's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks for um you know listening please check out the searchers film i'm going to link in the description check out some of david's conferences as well too i'm going to link his links in the description it's been a pleasure chatting and i guess we'll see you on another episode of out of the blank podcast